Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We're going to be looking into the gospel of the cross in this section. So we're going to pray and we'll get right in to the word of God. Father, we bless you today. We thank you. Open our hearts, Father. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to understand uh, this good news entitled The Gospel of the Cross. And we'll give you thanks for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5 says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church is the gospel of the cross in these three verses. And how that uh, we need to understand that it is a divine necessity in the death of Jesus Christ. There was a divine necessity in his death. And how the death of cross, the Christ was not an accident and it was not solely based upon man's will and purpose. They purposed to destroy and kill the Lord Jesus. But we don't stop there. There's a greater purpose. And of course, we understand this. The sinner may not, but we as believers in Christ understand this, that the death of Christ upon the cross, that is the first fact of the gospel. If we preach any other gospel than this gospel, Paul said we're, we are accursed. All the witnesses to the death of Christ agree. And after the death and resurrection of Christ, this message of the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was carried by his followers throughout the world. Even until this day, this same gospel is being preached all over the world. And people are being saved by the multitudes because there is power. It is the power of God, the power of God unto salvation. The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it. Now, the Lord insisted upon this message. And over and over again, he spoke to his followers, the disciples and those who are around him. Uh, the necessity of this message that he would be put to death, that he would be buried in a tomb, that he would be raised from the dead after the third day. Now, John recorded this in John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And oftentimes we leave off verse 17, but it's just as important as verse 16 is. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus showed unto his disciples right after we're going now to Matthew 16, right after Peter recognized by revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, right after the revelation of this, and Peter mentioned this, then Jesus begins to talk to them about how 
he would suffer, how he would be crucified, and then after three days he would be raised from the dead. Now, going back to 1 Corinthians 15, notice according, Paul, uh, Paul mentioned it, according to the Jesus died according to the scriptures. And how Christ died, it's all based upon the scriptures of the Old Testament, not the New Testament. New Testament had not been written at this point. But Jesus himself reminded the disciples, and he reminds us through the scriptures that uh, this very thing, that he suffered, that he died, and that he rose from the again. Notice what Luke records in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. Then he said unto them, talking about the two that, were, that he walked with on the road to Emmaus, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then once again, when he was with the full company of his disciples, he said to them this, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Now, we move ahead to the day of Pentecost and the message of Apostle Peter. This is after the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus ascended into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. When the, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the 120 in the upper room, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. Others who heard what was going on said, these men are filled with new wine. Jesus said, I mean, Peter said, no, this is not so. Now, this will pick up with his sermon that he preached that day. Notice Acts 22, beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. See, this is not merely solely man's idea in destroying Christ. God delivered him up. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This is the gospel of the cross. This is him crucified. This is the centrality of the gospel. And the preaching of the gospel consists of these things. It, number one, it is the basis of the Christian faith. The substitutionary death of Christ is the substance of the gospel. His life, his death, burial, and resurrection is the inspiration of holiness. Because in the Old Testament it says, be ye holy for I am holy. 
Well, man can't be holy in himself, but in Christ he can be. And he has been separated unto holiness, separated by sanctification unto holiness. And of course, the gospel is the passion of redemption. This is God's great love song to his humanity, those to whom he created. And we understand also from Paul's writings that Christ died for our sins. And it is in the New Testament that is set forth the reality that Christ suffered upon the cross. His death took the place of the sinner. That's you and that's me. And this is the blessing of salvation that Christ on the cross paid the penalty for our sin so that we could go free. And Paul writing to the Roman church said this, while we were yet still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated and commended his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. This was all done on credit. Man did not have to prove himself before Christ died. Christ died because he saw, amen, from the mercy seat, he saw those who would come to Christ through simple faith. Amen. Praise God. His plan was for Christ to die. And if I be lifted up, this is what Jesus said. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Have you been drawn to Christ through his death, burial and resurrection? Have you claimed salvation today? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Amen. There's no other name given among men. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, must be saved, not shall be, not not can be, must be, whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. See, it's the new birth that enters us into the kingdom of God. That is the fruit of the kingdom. Amen. Praise God. The scripture tells us Peter wrote this. He said Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but he was justified or rather he was vindicated in the spirit. Jesus died according to the will and according to the plan of God. He performed that. That's why he said hanging on the cross. It is finished. All that Jesus had to do to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin was accomplished on the cross. And when God saw that sacrifice, he vindicated the sufferer, the Lord Jesus Christ, vindicated this righteous action by raising him from the dead. And in the same way, if we by faith accept that which Christ has done in his cross and his death, burial and resurrection, and we confess that we believe in our heart to that and we confess that we confess that Jesus is Lord. God, too, vindicates and justifies us through our faith by granting us to have new birth. And if you're not born again, then you don't have Christ in you. And like Paul in writing to the Corinthian church, if the spirit of Christ is not in you, 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 you are not one of his. 
So let's examine ourselves today. Let's make sure that we have fully received Christ as Savior and Lord and that God has vindicated us by granting unto us, justifying us by granting unto us a new birth. Once again, Romans chapter five, verse six, for while we were yet still helpless at the right, right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as a response to this, Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church. For he hath made him, God has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In Paul, I mean, in Peter's writing, chapter two of first Peter, for you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your own souls. John wrote this in his first epistle, and he is the propitiation, the substitutionary sacrifice, the mercy seat for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Peter, again, we've already quoted this passage of scripture, but we'll quote it again. For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but justified or vindicated in the spirit. So all of these passages of Scripture reveal to every man the love which God has showed toward us in allowing his son to become a substitution for us. We Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He condescended to men of low degree, took upon himself the likeness of human flesh, and for sin was condemned in the flesh, that we, through faith in him, might be raised up and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the fact that Jesus Christ took our place upon the cross makes his sacrifice both a necessary and a valid atonement for our sin. There's no other. He's the only one. There's no other that could do that. And he did it for us through the Father's love. So the cross represents the willingness of God, our Heavenly Father, to bestow to us, the world, his son, Jesus Christ, as an offering, as a gift of his love. And he did that for you and me. He did it for the whole world. But personally, he did that for you and he did that for me. And for all that are in this world. 
because it was his determined will and purpose to redeem us from every evil and from the penalty of eternal death. God knew what was coming upon the human race, and he knows it today. He knows it this very moment. He knows your destiny. And he's pleading with you through the gospel to change your destiny from death to life. And when we have life, the life that's in Christ, God, through our faith and through the work of Christ, has granted unto us a hope beyond the grave. It is the redemption that is in Christ Jesus through the cross. That is the way which an absolute holy and sinless God would by himself justify and acquit the guilty and the sinner and every unjust man. And he did it by offering up his only begotten son, making him sin for us. Jesus did not become a sinner on the cross. Jesus was made sin. He took upon your guilt and my guilt. He took upon your sin and my sin on his innocent self and endured it. He who knew no sin was made sin so that we might be made right with God. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. Hallelujah. We now have a zero debt. Praise God. Hallelujah. And see, we don't have an understanding of the awfulness of sin, but God does. We weren't found in utter depravity. We are found in total depravity. There's no good thing in us. We were born in sin. We live in sin. And one day, if we don't receive Christ, the sacrifice will die in sin. And God fully understands the awfulness of sin and the totality of depravity and the eternity of hell and sent Jesus to rescue us from that. For if there's no faith in a person to believe you know, the, the efficacy and the, and the power of the cross of Christ to pardon sin, then the death of Christ does not prevail at all to bring to that person salvation. He does not see the value of it. Paul, in writing to the Ephesian church, said this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that anyone can boast. Now that we're born again, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Notice that, created, not reformed, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's solely based upon God's mercy, his love and compassion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then Paul writes this, therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth. You were called the uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and citizenship in heaven. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise. 
You were without hope and you were without God while living in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you and I who once were far away from God have been brought near, brought near by and through the blood of Christ. The fact that Jesus died for us in our place has to be made real to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why people sit under the preaching of the gospel Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. This is why they, when they're surfing through channels and there's a preacher comes on, they just keep right on going. It's because they do not understand. They're blinded to the fact of the value of the death of Christ and the preaching of the gospel. If they understood its value and the eternal hope that the gospel brings to the lost individual, they'd stay right there and listen to what has to be said. See, the fact that Jesus died for us in our place has to be made real to the individual, has to be made real to the sinner through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is only then that that person comes under conviction and God grants to that person faith to believe that what Christ did for us or for him on the cross. But without faith in the redempted work of Christ on the cross, it's impossible to please God. And he will not grant that person the new birth. They have to see it. The Holy Spirit has to make it real. Man's answer of faith towards the death of Christ and his atoning work, which Christ accomplished upon the cross, has to equate to a total abandonment of our life into full identification in Christ's death. And that we, through faith, through forgiveness of sins, identify with him in life. Unless we identify with Christ in his death, we're not going to identify with him in his life. There has to be repentance. There has to be the conviction of sin. It has to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. No man just in his mind can receive Christ and be born again. It has to be a heart situation. Because Paul said this, if one died for all, then we're all dead. And Paul writing in the second uh, chapter of Ephesians says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that now works in the disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time gratified the cravings of our sinful nature. And following its desires and thoughts, just like oh, everyone were by nature the objects or the children of wrath. But because of God's great love for us, the God who is rich in mercy, he, through Christ, made us alive. Even when we were dead in transgressions, because it's by his grace that we're saved. And in response to this, uh, after effect of this, he raised us up with Christ and he seated with seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show us the imparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. So if Christ died for us and then through faith also 
our faith now, talking about our faith, then we died with him or we died in him. We perfectly identified through the operation of the faith of God. We identified with Christ in his death. And this fact also applies to in the totality of God's redemptive plan. We not only do we identify with Christ in his death, but we also identify with him in his resurrection. Hallelujah. And God reckons this through our faith in him, the faith that he gave to us at the very beginning. This is what makes uh, it the whole operation real to us. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And thus God validates our faith in Christ by granting unto us the new birth. Hallelujah. But there's more than just reconciliation here. Because lurking behind the sins of man, there lies a deeper contagion, spiritual contagion called the sin unto death. We understand that in the Old Testament, sins were covered through the sacrifice of bulls and goats, but the sin unto death remained. But it was the blood of Christ that not only cleansed sins, but purged us from the sin unto death. It's the blood of Christ and only the blood of Christ that cleanses us from sins and at the same time cancels the nature of sin unto death. So we are no longer dead indeed unto sin, but now we are alive unto God through faith in Christ. It is the cross that points us to Christ, the Redeemer, the one who died and the one who rose again. Paul, in writing to the Roman church, said this, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too also might walk in newness of life. So it is the gospel of the cross that saves everyone to the uttermost, that points us to Christ, our Redeemer, the one who operated in this world under the power of Almighty God by his will and purpose. For in the gospel, there is pardon for the sinner. There is cleansing for him who is defiled. And there is victory over the world, the flesh and the devil. And through the cross of Christ, who came into the world as Savior, and unto those who kneel at the cross, those who repent of sin and receive Christ, comes this, the joyful news of sin forgiven, of hell subdued, and peace with heaven through his precious blood. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, willingly offering up your son for us, who was made sin, who knew no sin, so that we might be made right with you. Thank you, Father, for your eternal riches, unsearchable riches of Christ and for the glory that is to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. 
I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.